It is good, good to be here. But I have to tell you that preaching is hard. Barbara Brown Taylor was voted as one of the top 10 preachers in America, and she compared preaching to walking on a tightrope, wondering if you're going to make it to the other side. Preaching as a woman can sometimes be even harder. I have been told that it's heretical for me to preach. I've been told that when I stand in the pulpit, I'm not really preaching, I'm just sharing from my heart. I had a man come up after a service once, and he began by saying, you know, I'm really not into women preachers. And when I saw your name on the bulletin, I almost walked out this morning. But then, thankfully, he went on to say how God had touched him through the sermon in spite of my being a woman. <laughs> I had one woman pastor share with me the story that... Uh, after a service when she had preached, you know that time when people will often come up and just say something that touched their heart or say thank you or something, and she had a group of women that came forward after the service and they said, honey, we'd like to take you bra shopping. <laughs> Instead of pondering God's word to them through her voice, they were concerned that her bra was the wrong size. But if I didn't feel called by God and enabled by God, I would not be up here. <laughs> There's no way. It is much easier to sit in the pew and critique. But when I did feel God's uh, more than subtle nudging, this was way out of my comfort zone. But I had to ask, am I going to listen? Am I going to follow this God I love? Even though it's hard work, even though it puts me in very uncomfortable places, even though it sometimes invites criticism and rejection and sometimes even hostility, would I trust God and obey him? no matter the consequences? Obviously, I have said yes, or I would not be here tonight, but the challenge is to keep saying yes. We all come to boundary places in our lives, places of decision, places where we have to make a choice if we're going to step deeper into that life of faith or settle for what is safe, familiar, and comfortable. We all have to face decisions like, where are we going to go to school? Where are we going to live? Where are we going to work? But more importantly, we all have to choose. Will I embrace the life of faith that God calls me to? Will I make the necessary changes in my life to honor and please God? Will I do everything that I can to be all that he calls me to be? Will I press deeper, deeper into God's purposes for my life, or am I going to take the safe, familiar route? Now, you may have people that cheer you on when you make these decisions. 
encouraging you to press further in and further up. Or you may have folks who are not so encouraging. And you have to decide who you're going to listen to. Our passage today is about a boundary place in the life of Israel, a place of choice where they heard conflicting voices, and they had to decide who they were going to trust. So will you pray with me? Lord, your word is precious. You say it's more, more precious than gold. It's sweeter than honey. May your word fill us tonight. May it go deep in our hearts, rooted, and may it bear fruit. We pray this in your precious name. Amen. So first, let me set the scene. In Genesis 12 that Tim read for us just a few minutes ago, God promised Abraham that he would make him a people and give him a land. Now, where our story begins, the first half of that has taken place. The Israelites have become a strong and numerous people. I know you've been going through Exodus. And they became so populous that the Egyptians enslaved them to keep them subdued. But God miraculously saved them. He leads them into the desert where he shapes them as his people. At Mount Sinai, he taught them how to worship him and how to follow him. God had big plans for Israel. He was going to give them a land where they would be his people, witnessing to his glory before all the nations. They were called to be a blessing to all peoples. And then the Lord brought them to Kadesh. Kadesh sits on the border of Canaan, which was the land that God had promised to Abraham. Now, this kind of looks like a very wobbly W, but if you look at the very top of the peak in the middle, that would be where Kadesh was, just at the base of what we know is biblical Israel. <clears throat> so they get to Kadesh, right at the borderland, and the Lord tells Moses, their leader, to send 12 men, a leader from each of the tribes of Israel, to explore the land. Now, this reconnaissance was not intended to provoke a vote of whether or not they would enter the land. The Lord had told Moses he was giving them the land. It was a done deal. And this spy mission was intended to encourage them, to show them how incredibly delightful this gift was that he had for them. And the explorers, they go off into the land, and they travel throughout, and they bring back luscious fruits. And it says that they brought a single cluster of grapes that took two men to carry hoisted over a pole. That puts Hagen to shame. The explorers said this land was filled with milk and honey. It was lush and bountiful, but it also was full of a powerful people living in large, fortified cities. But one man, Caleb, he proclaims, we should take possession of this land. We can certainly do it. But the ten others waffled and said, no, we can't. They're stronger than we are. 
And the more this 10 talked, the more they just get on a roll and the reports keep getting worse and worse. And they said the land, it devours those living in it. The people are huge. They even saw Nephilim. Nephilim. <laughs> Genesis 6, 4 says that Nephilim were the children of women and gods. Heroes of old, men of renown, Nephilim were thought to be superhuman warriors. And in their utter inadequacy and fear, the ten said they felt like grasshoppers next to the people in that land. Their fears were magnifying the reality of what they faced. Hmm, I'm sure none of you have ever experienced that. Now, after this very lengthy introduction, we come to our passage tonight, and I'm going to be reading from Numbers 14, 1 through 9, and if you would stand with me, and if you look in your pew Bibles, it's page 147. This is Numbers 14, 1 through 9. That night, all the people of the community raised their voices and wept aloud, all the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to them, If only we had died in Egypt or in this desert. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, We should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell face down in front of the whole Israelite assembly, gathered there Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had explored the land, tore their clothes, and said to the entire Israelite assembly, The land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into the land a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord, and do not be afraid of the people of the land, because we will swallow them up. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. You may be seated. So we all come to Kadesh, our places of decision, and tonight I want to affirm that when we do, we can trust God because of who he is. We can trust him because he's good, and because he's powerful, and he's present with us. First, we can trust him because he is good. The Israelites were definitely trusting God's goodness. It says they raised their voices and wept aloud. They didn't just quietly grumble and boo-hoo. They're wailing. They were crying, if only we died in Egypt or in this desert. Ironically, they're so afraid of death that they wish they'd already died. And they despaired. Why should the Lord bring us all this way to have us killed by these giants? Or our wives and our children, they're going to be captured as slaves. They didn't trust God or Moses. They wanted a new leader, and they wanted someone to lead them where they wanted to go. 
and they were pretty sure that was back to old familiar Egypt where they had been slaves. They had totally forgotten God's promises to them. They had, that how he had shown his goodness, how he had taken care of them, how he had brought them out of Egypt, the plagues, the Passover, the holding back of the Red Sea, which was the last time I got to come and preach, was the holding back of the Red Sea, that God's amazing goodness to rescue his people from slavery and from death that pointed the way to Jesus Christ. They had forgotten the pillars of cloud and fire they had, that had led them out of Egypt to Kadesh. They had forgotten the manna that God gave them every single day. And then the quail that he gave when they started complaining about the manna. They had forgotten that God had said he was giving them this land. It was his gift to them. Caleb assures them in verse 7, the land is exceedingly good. The Hebrew here is tove meod, meod, good, very, very. I wish I could do a lovely Jewish accent, but I can't. Tove meod, meod. A double emphatic. This is not just good land. This is fabulous land. It is a land flowing with milk and honey, which probably meant it was abundant with flocks and herds and either sap-giving trees or honey from bees. Milk and honey together conveying a land of rich abundance and sweetness. How often when we come to our Kadesh, do we forget God's promises to us? our history with him, or how he has shown us his goodness. We see the obstacles and the challenges, and we forget that our God is tove meod meod. And what he wants to bless us with is tove meod meod. God doesn't lead us into the desert to dump us at Kadesh. Of course, it doesn't mean that there's no difficulties when we press on in faith. There really were a lot of strong, powerful people in that land, and they were going to have to deal with them. Their journey beyond Kadesh wasn't going to be easy. But God, God is good. He's tove meod meod. And we can trust him as we move forward into his purposes. And second, we can trust him because he is powerful. The Israelites only needed to look at their own lives as a people to see God's power. From that old man and a very old and infertile woman, he created a mighty people. He delivered them from the powers and oppression of Egypt. When they came to Mount Sinai, where God gave his law to Moses, he gave them a front row seat to his power. Exodus 19 describes the scene. They're on the way to the promised land, and God kind of gives them this little stopover at the base of Mount Sinai. That's a picture of it. It really does just kind of go up. And Moses tells the people, don't go up that mountain. Don't even touch the foot of it, or you will be killed. 
Now, it is a good thing that one of my children was not among the Israelite people because by drawing a line saying don't do that was just an invitation to take that step. And I'm not going to say which child that was. <laughs> We're just not going there tonight. <laughs> so he, they come to the base, and then the show begins. That doesn't... Didn't, I'm sure it looked exactly, exactly like this. This is like a picture that you would take of that moment. But the thunder is booming, and the lightning is cracking, and there's thick cloud that covered the mountain. And then there's this loud trumpet that no human being was playing that just got louder and louder. And then the whole mountain just shook. And it's, the Bible says that Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The Israelites, they shook with fear at just this little glimpse of God's power. But jo Joshua and Caleb got it. When the other spies said, the land we explored devours those living in it, Joshua and Caleb said, don't be afraid of the people in the land. We will swallow them up. And when the others said, the cities are huge and fortified, Joshua and Caleb said, their protection is gone. The Hebrew word for protection means shade or shelf shadow, which really is a very apt metaphor for protection when you live in the desert. It also referred to the protection that was given by either a deity or a king. So Joshua and Caleb are saying, God is so powerful that in comparison, these cities have no protection. And in verse 8, they said, If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land. And what pleases the Lord? Obedience following him. So Joshua and Caleb knew that the almighty God would lead them into that land and he would show his power. Now in 1996, our family was called as short-term missionaries with covenant denomination in Mexico for a year. And at that time, our children were 13, 11, and 7. Notice some folks that look familiar. This was our support raising card that we gave out. Yeah, so <laughs> that was a few years ago. So my father, who is not one to mince words, told us we were idiots to even consider it and that we were going to ruin our children. And there were a lot of people that questioned why my husband would leave a really good job he'd had for 16 years. And when we came back, he didn't know where he was going to be working. And periodically, we would get these little budget updates from Chicago telling us how much money we were needed to raise to be able to do this for our family of five to go for a year. And that number kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And Mark, who has this wonderful gift of faith, would just say, well, the more it is, the more we know God's doing it. <laughs> I don't have the gift of faith so much. And I'm thinking... How can we possibly raise that impossible sum in just a few months? 
But God, our powerful God, provided more than we needed. And when we came home within a week, my husband had a job. And our three children look back on that year as one of the most influ influential times of their lives in shaping them to be the people that they became. And you know, I have to say, they became pretty awesome people. By God's grace, they all love the Lord. They've all been involved in missions in Central and South America and Eastern Europe and China. And somehow, they have grown up to be mostly successful, functioning adults. <laughs> they weren't ruined. Cool. So we were just a normal suburban family who struggled with doubts and fears. And we had to decide whose voice we were going to listen to. Who was going to lead us? Who were we going to trust? Now here's a little fun side story. While we were there, a young man came down to visit us with his aunt and uncle and cousins. And then a few years after we came back, we took a trip from Bellingham Covenant Church, an intergenerational trip back down for a couple weeks, and this young man joined us again on that trip. Well, our friends that we served with invited this young man back to serve with them longer by himself, which he did. And while he was there, he met a lovely young woman, and her name is Adelaide, and his name was Patrick McAvoy. So, I'm so glad we obeyed God, and I think they are too. <laughs> but are there giants in your life? Are there fortified cities that seem like they're in your path and they're just insurmountable? Whose voice are you going to listen to? Who is going to lead you? Who are you going to trust? Our God is powerful. He can create a universe with a word. He can bring life with just a breath. He can make mountains tremble, and he can still a storm. He can feed the multitudes. He can change hearts, and he can transform lives and nations. Joshua and Caleb said it twice, do not be afraid. They knew God is powerful, and he could take care of them. Do we know it? And finally, we can trust God because he is present. Why should we not be afraid? Joshua and Caleb said it in verse 9, because the Lord is with us. The God who is good and who is powerful, he is the one that is with us. And you better believe that when they said this, Joshua and Caleb, they were trusting in the truth of it. Think about the situation that they were in. Twelve men were chosen to explore this land. They were the leaders of the twelve tribes. Now, earlier in the book of Numbers, it listed how many men there were, 20 years and older, in each of these tribes. The smallest tribe numbered 32,000 men. The largest was 75,000 men. This didn't even include the women and children. The men that were chosen 
as the leaders were powerful men that could lead thousands of people. And these other 10 leaders were united, united. This was not a good idea to go into that land. And then they riled up the masses to support their side. Verse 1 says, all the people. Verse 2, all the Israelites. Verse 5, the whole Israelite assembly. Verse 7, the entire Israelite assembly. As Moses and Aaron fell prostrate in front of the people, Joshua and Caleb went up against the entire nation. If you read on, they were threatened with stoning. How many of us, how many of us would have had the courage to speak? Joshua and Caleb, they're the heroes in this story. They grieved over the people's rejection of God and all he desired for them. They knew God was present and they, that he could be fully trusted. What does it feel like to have someone you trust present with you? Now, my husband, Mark, and I love to hike Skyline Divide, if anybody knows that spot. He says that he sees God best above 5,000 feet. But when it comes to crossing streams, I am a wimp. I have no confidence at all in my boulder-hopping abilities, and my focus always seems to be on the swirling stream around me that wants to suck me away. But it is amazing the comfort and the strength I feel when Mark goes ahead of me and puts his hand out. He shows me the way to go. His presence gives me the confidence to take that first leap to that first boulder. Now before, my husband, if he listens to this, gets all puffed up because I'm using the analogy of him to God. <laughs> a better picture, a more full picture would be that God is, he goes ahead. He clears and marks the trail. He, provide, he carries all the provisions that we might need. And he defends against all the wild beasts out there up at the skyline divide. <laughs> when you find yourself in Kadesh, wondering if you can take the leap to that first boulder that brings you deeper into God's purposes, Remember God's promise to you in Deuteronomy 31.8. The Lord himself goes before you and he will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. The Lord who is good. Tove meod meod and powerful. He reaches out his hand to us from across the swirling waters. He did that when he gave us Jesus Christ. He will give us the confidence and the strength to take that leap if you trust him. There's a commentary that was written by David Stubbs, and it says that the sin of the Israelites here was despair and sloth. I love that word that sounds like what it means, sloth. The Israelites feared their lack of trust in God, their unwillingness to persevere or sloth caused them to reject God's purposes for them. 
They didn't want to do what they needed to do to move forward. They were willing to settle for less. Forgetting God's goodness, forgetting his power, forgetting his presence with them, they refused to trust him and to press deeper into his purposes. God desired to give them this exceedingly good land, tove meod, meod land, where they could be God's people, witnessing to his glory. But they wanted to go back to Egypt and live in slavery, where it was familiar. How often do we choose less than God's best for us? Because we're afraid of the giants or unwilling to do the hard work of conquering those fortified cities, we all will find ourselves at Kadesh. When it's time to make a decision of whether or not to move forward and journey with God, it might be some great new endeavor going to Panama. (laughs) Put a little plug in there for you. But it might be just when he calls you to give up that persistent sin or habit or attitude that holds you back from living fully in him. When he nudges you to live in a way that makes your faith truly real. In Kadesh, we have to decide whether we're going to press into the fullness of God's promises and purposes or if we're going to settle for Egypt. Preaching is hard. But for me, I would be disobedient if I didn't press into this land that God has called me to. (laughs) It's where he gives me life. It's where I get the privilege of seeing him work. I get the gift of experiencing the broader church, like tonight. It's where I feel God's smile. To use the phrase of Eric Lytle, the Scottish missionary, who competed in the 1924 Olympics, and that's how he described it when he ran. I feel God's smile. Joshua and Caleb trusted God. They courageously proclaimed God's goodness, power, and presence in both their words and their actions. They were willing to do whatever it took to obey despite the obstacles. When we find ourselves in Kadesh, Will we trust God? Will we remember that he's good and powerful and present with us? Please pray with me. Lord, we confess that too often we are like the Israelites, stuck in our fear and our sloth. (laughs) We hear your voice or feel your nudges, Yet we see the giants in the fortified cities and we forget your goodness. We forget how very powerful you are and that you promise to be with us. We pray that we might become more like Caleb and Joshua, trusting you, that our lives would reflect what we know to be true about you. Pray that you will reach across those swirling waters and give us the courage to take the first step we need to take, whether it's the first step in the journey of faith or the hundredth step or the thousandth step. 
that we would go deeper in our lives with you. And we pray this in your good and powerful name. Amen.